You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Acts chapter 17. I got a text a moment ago, and I never get texts on the platform, and so I, I, and I don't like to ever check my phone, but when I do get a text, I usually think, okay, someone needs something, I need to announce something, and so I checked my text really briefly, and it was from one of our deacons, and so I was like, oh boy, I better see what this is. So I open it up, I look at it, and it's Brother Richard Pantaleon, who's watching online tonight. It's his birthday, by the way. Happy birthday, Brother Richard. And he said, None of you guys have ties on. You know what that tells me? Brother Richard ain't watching church because I talked about that, Brother Richard, at the beginning of the service. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you harshly, all right? But uh, no, we're, we're getting this AC fixed up here, and uh, we'll, we'll get that going, all right? I did get another prayer request handed to me. Linda Camus' sister, Fran, um, who has been visiting Linda from out of state, she's, while she was here, I guess, she fell and broke her shoulder. So that's Linda's sister, Fran. If you could remember to pray for her, and uh, that's a sad thing. Unbelievable. Acts chapter number 17. Does anyone need a fill-in-the-blank sheet tonight? Did we miss anybody with a fill-in-the-blank sheet this evening? Okay, how about a pen? Anyone need a pen this evening? Okay, good. All right, we're all set. Did you hear the thunder last night? Yeah, that was pretty, pretty awesome. California is not used to thunder. I think probably a lot of people are, are uh, were a little, maybe a little bit afraid of that, but uh, in the Midwest, you know, my teenage years, and then in the South, it was it used to get pretty pretty loud. So that was the loudest I've heard in California for a long time, though. So anyway, interesting. I love it. Second, uh, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 17 and Second Timothy chapter two. Um, we, we, we have our theme verse there, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, knowing how to, to take the word of God and make a straight cut, what that means, rightly dividing. And uh, so to really be able to discern what the Bible is saying. In Acts chapter 17, look at verse 11 here. It says uh, in verse 10, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So the people of Berea were searching the scriptures. Next week, my son and I, Titus, will be headed to a church in Rockford, Illinois, called Berean Baptist Church. And I'll be speaking at their teen camp, so pray for me as I won't be here next Wednesday. Brother Cole will be preaching, so pray for him, Lord willing. And uh, pray for me as I'm, I'm there preaching uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. But they named their church Berea, Berean Baptist Church. Why? Out of this passage, talking about people that searched the scriptures diligently, the people of this, of this town here. And so we want to be careful that we are searching the scriptures diligently as well. And so that's what this series is about. Dig In is about discovering the treasures of the Word of God. Now tonight we're dealing with interpretation. Interpretation. Now, think about this with me, if you would, and I'm going to try to go quickly through this uh, tonight because there's a lot of material here. But the disciples, think of the disciples, when Jesus was crucified, they were so, they, they, they crumpled, right? I mean, Peter said, I go fishing, and they're all scattering. Why? Why were they so shocked that Jesus 
was crucified and, and, and was buried for three days. Why didn't they anticipate the resurrection? Because Jesus did tell them, right? He did say the Son of Man shall be crucified in the hands of sinful men and shall be buried and rise again on the third day. He literally said that. Here's the problem. Their interpretation of what Jesus said. See, because they had preconceived notions that Jesus was going to be setting up his earthly kingdom. And so they probably thought, oh, this is like a parable or something. And, he, and it wasn't. He was telling them exactly what was going to happen. So their interpretation of Jesus' words was wrong. Can you understand how if we interpret Jesus' words wrong, our attitude will be messed up? Our actions will be messed up? So it is very important as you study the word of God that you know how to interpret scripture. So let's do a very, and there's a lot of information tonight. There's going to be deep things. There's going to be practical things. And so, uh, and if you have not caught the other messages in the series, they build on one another. You need to catch the other messages in the series, and it'll help you with this. Let's pray together. We're going to dive in. Father, please help me tonight as I try to get through this material. I pray that it would be simple enough that we would all receive something. And then for also those who maybe have been studying the Bible for a while, it'd be, it'd be deep enough to in, in, uh, enrich their personal time with you. So bless this time we have together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's very quickly review last week of the observation. Okay, so there's three steps to inductive Bible study. What is inductive Bible study? It's on your sheet here. Inductive Bible study is an investigative type of Bible study. It's investigative used by seeking to discover the facts and details about a text and to draw conclusions about the meaning of a text from the observations. It's a long thing, basically saying you're investigating the, the, the passage and all around it to find out what is the Bible saying, okay? There's three steps to this. There's observation. That's where you ask yourself, what does the text say? What does it say, all right? That's to saturate yourself with the text. The next step is interpretation, and these are in order. You need to do these in order. Interpretation, and the word there you want to fill in, and I apologize for those of you watching online tonight. We don't have the sheet uh, to, for you to be able to download. If you want that, just contact the office. We'll get it to you. Interpretation, what does the text mean? So observation is what does the text say, but the blank there, interpretation, what does the text mean? And that's where you're investigating. So you saturate, you investigate, and the last step is notate. And the blank there is application. Application. So we have observation, we have interpretation, and number three, we have application. So get what we're saying here tonight. You're trying to study the Bible. You get a passage of scripture that you've really had an interest in, and you really want to know what that text is talking about. So how can you get the most out of it? Well, you're going to observe first. You're going to look at that text and say, what does it say? And then you're going to look at it and say, okay, now that I've got a basic idea of what's going on, now I'm going to interpret it and say, what does it mean? What does this really mean? And then after I get the meaning of it, then you're able to say, what does it mean to my life? How can I apply it for me, okay? So that's the three ways there. Now, when you're observing a text, here are some, some tools for you to use. You don't have to use every one of these every time, but you can pick and choose some questions to ask. If you're reading a text, you can ask, who? Who wrote this? Who is it written to? Okay, what is happening? What's happening in the scripture? Is this a war? Is this a battle? Is this peace? 
uh, what's going on in this passage of Scripture. What key words and phrases are being used, okay? So I'm going through Philippians. You know that the word mind and joy and things like that are used over and over. Gospel and Christ are used many times. Why are they repeated? Okay, because we're, we're focusing on those things, right? So you're reading through that. Number four, here's the blank. What is the context? What is the context? And we're going to talk about this tonight, so I'm not going to take time now. What is the context? Number five, what is the literary genre? Are you reading poetry? Are you in the book of Psalms? Are you in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon? Are you reading something that may have a lot of allegories in it? Okay, are you reading apocalyptic or prophetic literature like Revelation or Daniel? Are you, so you're looking, okay, uh, is some of this allegorical? Is it figurative? Is it literal? Okay, you have to kind of know uh, what type of genre you're reading that will help you in your Bible study, okay? What is the main point? What's the point of why this is being written? When? When was it written? Uh, uh, where? Uh, where are the events taking place? What's unfolding here? Why? How? So these are some questions. If you missed the last week's lesson on those, I explained them, and I gave more questions to ask, and those will help you in observing what's happening in the text. Now, I will say this before we go on. I'm giving you a lot of stuff over this week, over the past couple weeks, over the next few weeks. So I know that every time you sit down and open your Bible, you're not going to use everything. And for some of you, I'll say some things tonight, and you're like, I don't even know how to do that. That's okay. Maybe you could say, I don't know how to do it yet. And what I'm saying is this. Reach for the cookies on the bottom shelf, okay? What do I mean by that? I mean, grab the stuff and use the stuff that you understand and that makes sense to you. Grab the stuff that's easy. Hey, I even think when you're reading and studying the Bible and you're just starting out, I want to get the deepest meaning in this text possible. No, why don't you grab the easy stuff and say, God, what do you want from me? And, and search the scriptures daily, which we just read. And maybe the simplest thing there is to say, hey, I want to be like that. I want to search the scriptures daily. And so now you're applying that to your life. So I, I'm just saying, don't, don't always feel like you have to get to the, the deepest nugget in the earth you know, of, of scripture. You'll get there, but just grab the easy stuff, and if I give you some tools today or last week or the week after, whatever, and, and they make sense to you, then use those, okay? That's what I want to say tonight. So let's, now we've reviewed observation. Now we're given, this is the introduction of interpretation now. We're getting into interpretation, in other words. So observation answers the question, what does the text say? Interpretation answers the question, what does the text mean? Now, this is the crucial part of the process. Uh, we have to correctly understand what the text means and says before we can see how it applies to our lives. Because you're going to apply something wrong if you don't know what it means. So it's very important. Once you get all the facts in, then you can interpret. So let me give you several keys to correctly interpreting Scripture this evening. Number one. There's two blanks there, okay? Here's what they are. One interpretation, many applications. One interpretation, many applications. So what do I mean by that? Okay, when you approach a text, everything in the Bible means one thing. A text... It is, you can't look at the Bible and say the Bible means different things to different people. That's not how it was written. 
you may apply it differently, but you interpret it one way. When Jesus said something in the Bible, he didn't mean ten things with it. He meant one thing. When he said, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life, in, in First John, uh, when that was written, it meant one thing. It means what it says. So there's one interpretation. The meaning is set when the writer wrote down the words under the moving of the Holy Spirit, one thing was meant. However, on your sheet here, once you have processed what the verse means, there are many different ways to apply that truth to your life. So there's one interpretation. It means one thing, but you can apply it in different ways. For instance, you and I could read the same passage of Scripture. Uh, let's just say we all read Philippians chapter 1 tonight. All of us would read Philippians chapter 1, and if we all understood what it meant, what it was saying, and interpreted it correctly, we would all, every one of us, still come away with different applications for our life. You would say, one person would say, hey, I see in there that I've got to, I've got to get the gospel out. I got to get the gospel out. I, another person would say, I see the name Jesus Christ in there, and it just got me thinking about the name of Jesus. Another person would read it and say, uh, uh, first, uh, Philippians 1 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of thee, and, and I want to just be in, in prayer for people, and I want to thank God for the people in my life that have made a difference. And every one of us would come back with a different application even though we will all agree on the interpretation. So that's what that's talking about there. So understand that. Uh, the Bible was written to mean one thing. So, what do, so when you're reading, ask yourself, what does God mean in the verse or text you're studying? What does he mean in that text? What's he saying, okay? You, you, you've heard probably this illustration before, but it's a humorous illustration. I love it. There was a man who was uh, going through a difficult time and just needed some counsel. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to open up the Bible. And wherever I open it to, the, I'm going to do exactly what the Bible says. And so he flipped open the Bible. And he flipped open to Matthew chapter 27, verse 5. And it says there that Judas departed and went and hanged himself. And the guy's kind of startled by that. And he said, okay, let me try again. And he turned to Luke 10, 37. It said, then Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. And okay, he got a little, a little terrified by that. And he turned again, it was John 13, 27. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. And so, you know, if you take that approach and you take three verses and you say, hey, he went and hanged himself. I'm supposed to hang myself. You know, and then you go to the next verse. Uh, what you do, do, you know, do thou likewise. Judas hanged himself and I'm supposed to hang myself. What thou do, do is quickly. I got to do it quick. Okay, you, you're taking, <laughs> that's interpreting scripture wrong. And, and, and so it, it, you, can't, you can't do that with Scripture. That's not the way the Bible is meant to be read. Okay, so even in your Bible time, don't be like, well, I guess I'm reading Psalm 104 today. And then I'll be in, uh, let's see here, I'm going to Daniel chapter 3 and just read a couple verses. That's not how the Bible was supposed to be written. When you get an email, you don't jump to the middle and read two sentences and then click off. No, you read through it systematically, right? Okay, so we have one interpretation, many applications. Number two. You're not going to remember these words. If I quiz you on them next week, most of you would be like, they started with E, that's all I got. It's okay. You don't need to remember the words, remember the principle. Exegesis versus eisegesis. And this is not Isis, it's not Isis, it's not, you know, the, the people in the Midwest, uh, Middle East, this is eisegesis, okay? So we believe and practice exegesis, we do not agree with eisegesis. Let me explain the difference to you because this matters. Exegesis means that you read the meaning out 
of the text. The word that you want to fill in is out. You read the meaning out of the text. In other words, you are reading the text and are led to conclusions by following what the text says. There's a, there's a more clinical definition here. Exegesis is the exposition or explanation of a text based on careful, objective analysis. Objective, okay? Eisegesis means, and here's the blank, eisegesis means you read the meaning into the text. You read the meaning into the text. In other words, you are reading into the text what you want to find or what you hope to find. That's dangerous. That is subjective. It's subjective to your ideals. Whatever your ideas may be, not the writers. There was a lot of preaching and teaching years ago of people that had an idea and went to the Bible for it. I heard so much preaching on interracial dating growing up. A lot of preaching on that. And so they'd go and they'd find like some obscure text somewhere and say, and then I looked at the kids in our teen department growing up and we had uh, these girls in our youth department who one parent was half Hawaiian and half something else and the other parent was half Spanish and half white and I was thinking, who are they supposed to marry? Like, do they have to find someone that's a fourth Hawaiian and a fourth Hispanic and a fourth white and a fourth this? And, and it was just so confusing to me. But you have, if you've been in church a while, you've heard a lot of preaching and teaching, probably where someone had an idea and said, now let me find a verse to back that up. Right? Hopefully not here, but uh, that's happened. What, now, what is that? That is eisegesis. That's me saying, I have an idea and a belief. Now, let me go find where I can back that up. No, you're supposed to do the exact opposite of that is by saying, what does this book say? You give me what my beliefs are. I'm going to read out of the text what the Bible says and what it means, okay? Because look, when you read the Bible and you inject your own ideas, you can make the Bible mean whatever you want it to mean. You can change it to be whatever you want it to be, and people do. So eisegesis on your sheet there is the interpretation of a passage based on a subjective, which means it's up to you. Non-analytical reading. Exegesis leads us to observation, interpretation, and application. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? Here's the blank. Eisegesis leads us to imagination. Imagination. What do I want it to say? To exploration. Can I find a text that supports my idea? And application. So what does it mean to me? You know? So instead of saying, I'm going to observe the Bible and I'm going to interpret the Bible and figure out what it means and then apply it to my life, the person with eisegesis, the person who's studying it, trying to get their meaning into the Bible, is saying, okay, I've imagined a concept and now I'm going to explore through the scripture to see if there's any verse I can find to back it up. And when I do, I'll apply it to my life. And there's so many things like that. There's so many things in Scripture where people are just digging for one verse they can twist out of context and say, you know, I, I, I was soul winning one time and I knocked on the door and Jehovah's Witness came out. And, uh, and he said, you know, he, he didn't speak a lot of English. He had a very thick uh, uh, Spanish accent and I, I wasn't very good and I'm not, still not very good with, with Spanish. I'm trying to learn. And uh, he said, let me show you a verse. You believe that Jesus is God, right? I said, Yes. And he took a verse out of Ephesians, and he said, God, the Father of Jesus Christ. And I said, yes. And he said, well, it says right there that God is the Father of Jesus. And I said, yes, we agree. 
And he said, then he can't be God. And I said, we disagree. And I, he took one verse that doesn't mean what he thinks it means. Because is Jesus God's son? Yes. Is he also God? Yes, again. And I took him to three passages of scripture and showed him clearly the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. You know what he did? He took me right back to Ephesians and said, but look at this verse. It says this. And I thought, you know, and I said, look, I don't think any verse is going to convince, uh, convince you because you've already got what you want to believe. And that's the danger. You get a thought and then you go searching for it. That's wrong. Uh, I, I read it, and it's dangerous, by the way. We need to let the Bible speak for itself. The Bible is not shy. It'll speak for itself. I read, I, this is a true story. I read a, a story about a pastor who was counseling a couple. And they had gotten married in another church under another pastor. And they got married because that other pastor had preached a, mer a message on the Jericho, the, the walls of Jericho falling down. And the pastor said, well, what, you know, the pastor counseled them now said, well, what did he, why did you get married because of a message on Jericho? And they said the other pastor had told them that in that story, God's people claimed a city, marched around it seven times, and the walls fell down. And so he preached a message and told this young man afterwards that if he thought, if this young man thought that God wanted him to marry a certain girl, then he should walk around her seven times, claim her for himself, and the walls of her heart would fall down. Now, we'll say this. They did get married. You know, <laughs> It must have worked. No, you had someone. that They're in counseling now, right? They're in counseling. It's not working out that way, as well as it could. What I'm saying is that was the complete wrong interpretation and an application that doesn't apply. Of all the things you could get from that passage... I don't see marriage principles in that chapter at all, okay? I just don't see them there, but uh, you never know. Anyway, so what was that? That was imagination. Now, I want to caution you with this. It's the last thing there. We all come to the Bible with preconceived ideas. We do. We come to the Bible already thinking certain things. Now, we must be careful that we are not jumping to conclusions automatically. I can't tell you how many things, after I have really diligently started studying the Bible, over the last however many years it's been, where I have thought to myself, oh, I always thought this growing up. I always thought this from Bible college. I always thought this from church. But now that I'm studying the Bible, that's not what it says. That's not what it says. Now, by the way, if you're reading the Bible and it's causing you to be less holy, you're probably interpreting it wrong. You know, people do that. I, you know what? I've just been going to church all these years, and I finally figured out <laughs> drinking, smoking, and, and, you know, shacking up is completely okay. But no, you didn't get that from the Bible. Like, you, you know, I, I can do drugs now. I can do cocaine. No, I'm afraid that you have interpreted some things wrongly. Okay? So uh, interpret the Bible. We need to interpret what the Bible is saying and be willing to change. So if God's word, if there's a belief you've always had because you grew up in a church, you know, somewhere in the south or, or wherever else it was, and, and you heard, you know, the pastor always say this one thing, and it's been ingrained in you, but if you come to the Bible and the Bible says differently than what I say or what anybody says, you believe the book, and you'd be willing to change what you believe. So, uh, you know, that, I, that sounds scary. I know we're, we're always against change, but if the Bible is clear... 
We need to clearly follow it. Clearly follow it. So you may not remember exegesis and eisegesis. Remember the principle. Don't go to the Bible with your ideas. Get your ideas out of the Bible, okay? Number three, follow the principles. And here, uh, just spend a couple minutes and we'll be done. Follow some principles about Bible interpretation. Number one, here's the blank. The literal principle. The literal principle. When you're trying to understand a passage of Scripture, look at the literal principle. Now, the literal principle introduces us to the golden rule of Bible interpretation. Here is the golden rule of Bible interpretation. Are you ready? All right, here it is. If the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense, lest you end up with nonsense. You, you, I got the sharp ones here tonight. All the dumb ones are at North Valley at Teen Conference. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Yes, the word is nonsense. If the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other sense lest you end up with nonsense. In other words, when you read the Bible, Jesus is most of the, almost all the time very clear with what he's saying. Okay, so if the plain sense makes common sense, don't look for another sense. Here's an example. In the book of John, Jesus has seven statements where he says, I am. I am the resurrection life. I am the shepherd. Uh, I am the door. I am the vine. I am, I am, I am. Okay? Here's the thing. When Jesus said, I am the door, are we supposed to sit around? Jesus is literally a door. Okay, so when he was on earth, he was like a door, and he had to, like, rock back. No. No. When, when he says, I am the vine, is Jesus in the shape of a vine? No. That's figurative. And you know what tells us it's figurative? Common sense tells us it's figurative. Okay? So if the plain sense, if you're reading a scripture, and, and it says in Psalm chapter 91 that, that God hideth us under the shadow of his wings or something like that, you don't need, God has wings. Is God a bird? No. You need, to, you have a bird brain if you're thinking that. Okay, no, I'm kidding. But uh, it's figurative. And there are people that take those things literally and say, and come up with these fantastical ideas of what an angel looks like and what God looks like and God's got wings and God's got this and that. You took something com that common sense would have told you is figurative. So if, it, if, if the plain sense that you see makes common sense, seek no other sense, lest you end up with nonsense, okay? The Bible does use metaphors and allegories and symbolism. A lot of that is in prophecy. A lot of that is, but, but they, they do use that. And we've got to recognize what is literal, what is figurative, what is normal speech, and what is symbolic. You know, and so, so common sense should, should help us with that. That's the literal principle. You take the Bible literally until you can't anymore. Okay? until you come across something like God has wings. And then you're like, okay, so this is not literal anymore. Now this is figurative. I am the vine. I am the door. Okay, now this is different. This is, this is, this is a different thing we're looking at here, okay? The literal principle. Number two, letter B there, is the contextual principle. Context, U-A-L, okay? That's how you spell it. Spell the word context and then put a U-A-L. Contextual principle. Contextual principle. In other words, interpret the verse of Scripture by using the verses around it. <clears throat> Some verses, by the way, begin in the middle of a sentence. 
I'm going to start this Bible study. And you're starting a verse that begins in the middle of a sentence? Well, maybe read the whole sentence. Maybe read the whole paragraph. Here, write this in if you would. A text without a context is only a pretext. That's another famous, you know, hermeneutical term here. The, the, a text without a context is only a pretext, meaning you can justify any point of view and get the Bible to say anything you want if you just screw up the context of it. It's a pretext, a pretext for you to say whatever you want it to say. And uh, you can grab one verse and say, this is what it says, and this is what it means. Let me give you an example, okay? Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted of the devil. You know what the devil did to Jesus? He quoted scripture. He misquoted it. Or I should say he, he misapplied uh, it. He took it out of context. Because what the devil was telling Jesus to do, throw yourself down off the pinnacle of this thing. He, he was, and then he referenced a verse out of Psalms. And what he was saying was, it's okay to put God to the test. But what that psalm was saying is, it's okay to trust God. Do you see the difference there? He took it out of context to say, you can tempt God. You, you can put God to the test here. Cast yourself off and see if he doesn't save you. But that phrase, that passage of scripture was not saying, put God to the test. It was saying, trust God no matter what. Trust God. And so the devil took it out of context. Even in the Garden of Eden, yea, hath God said. Did God really say that? And he took the words and he took it out of context, okay? How about, how about this one? Did you know? Or, or let, me, let me just ask you this question. Does the Bible say there is no God? The Bible does say there is no God. Did you know that? The Bible says in those exact words, there is no capital G God. But you know what the context is? The context before that says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So does context matter? Oh yeah, it matters. Oh yeah. The Bible says there's no God. Um, can you back up a couple words? The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And so context matters. Verses are parts of paragraphs, which are parts of books. They go together. They, you know, paragraphs are parts of chapters. Chapters are parts of books. They go together. They're not supposed to be individually looked at apart from context. For instance, okay, we looked at this week, and by the way, if I run out of time, I will just continue next week. I won't keep you extra long tonight. I, won't, I mean, I won't go over time. So if you're looking at your watch, he's got to hurry up. If I, if I don't get there, then we'll just continue it next time. What, what we looked at Philippians 4.13 on Sunday. Okay, I can do all things through Christ with strength with me. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I want to study that text out. I've always loved that verse, and I want to look at that verse and find out, you know, what is that really saying? Can I really do anything if I set my mind to it and God's with me? You know, I can, I can become president of the United States, you know, if God strengthens me. Well, if you were here on Sunday, you know that we went back and actually looked at the context of that verse. And the previous verses said... I have learned of what service that I am, therewith to be content. I know how to be a base and abound. I know how to suffer, I know how to be hungry and suffer need, blah, 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 all this stuff. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So what does the context say that verse is really saying? If we're interpreting it correctly, it's talking about contentment. Contentment. That I can be okay. And I can do whatever God has put in front of me. I can be okay as long as I have Jesus because I'm saved. And so, now, can you apply that and say, hey, I can get through this because God's with me? You can apply it that way, yes. 
but the, but the interpretation is important. That's why context is important. Number next, on your sheet here, fill this in. Compare Scripture with Scripture. If there's a text you're worried about and you're unsure about, find other passages of Scripture that talk about it. The Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible. The Bible is the best commentator on the Bible. Okay? Here's a good tip for you in quotes. I don't know who said this. Uh, examine each passage in relation to its immediate context, which is the verses surrounding it, its wider context, that's the book it's found in, and its complete context, the Bible as a whole. I know that's deeper, and you may not do that if you're first starting out, but it helps you really see why is this written? What's this written for? What's this about? Where does this fit in with God's plan? The Bible does not contradict or oppose itself. If we find passages which seem to say two different things, we've got to study more carefully. Write this in. There is harmony in Scripture. Harmony in Scripture. Absolutely. Now, sometimes uh, things in the Bible only apply to certain people and certain things apply to everyone. There were certain things Jesus said to the Jews that don't apply to us. And that there are people out there in our world that say, you know, whatever it was promised to the Jews, now those promises apply to the church. I forget what those people are called, but, but there is a whole theology that, you know, now, is it covenant theology? Does that sound right? I don't know. But it says that, that uh, you know, whatever Jesus promised the Jews, now that the church has been started, now we get those promises. No, we don't. He promised it to the Jews. It's still to the Jews, okay? We don't get to inherit the land of Israel. We're not getting that. The Jews are getting that, okay? So there are still promises uh, that, that he said. So there are things that are promised to certain people. There are some things promised to everyone. Some things are literal. Some things are figurative. And so these two points we just talked about are very important. Number three, or letter C. Letter C, the grammatical principle. Grammatical principle. The grammatical principle. Grammar, Pastor, really? It was good until you just brought up English. I want you to write this next blank in there, and this is going to shock you. The Bible is a book. Oh. We're like, Pastor, slow down, go back. Let me get that one again. The Bible is a book. I know that's shocking. But think about this books are written to communicate a message. Books have three things. Books have a writer, books have a reader, or they're supposed to, and books have a message. So the Bible, so follow this logical thinking here, the Bible was authored by the Holy Spirit, but written in human language by humans for humans. God wrote it in a way for us to understand. He allowed humans to give their perspective. He wrote through them, authoring it through them, and, and he did that so that it was for us to understand and get what was being said. Human language, here's the blank, human language follows certain rules and has structure. You ever read a book where the author just seems to have no structure? You bounce around from one idea to the next and you're like, what was this? this how, how, did they write this like one day at a time and just write a sentence a day randomly? You know, I've, I've seen authors like that. And, you know, but, but the Bible has, and human language has rules and structure. Uh, Brother Skelly, a pastor, said Bible messages were written by certain people to certain people at certain times in certain places for certain purposes. So what is this all saying? We need to interpret the Bible using basic rules of language. Okay, that means we need to define words. Sometimes we have to, you ever read a book and you come across a word, you're like, never heard that one before. 
You know what I like to do? I like to actually Google it and find out what does that mean, okay? But uh, we need to define them in their original meaning, not in modern meanings. If you come across the word propitiation in the Bible in 1 John, and you're like, what does that mean? Let me grab out the brand new dictionary that just came out, you know? No, you're not going to get the right, the, the right definition. Why? Because language has changed. You need to look at what it meant in the original meaning there. And we'll talk about some tips for that in just a minute, okay? It means you can actually find subjects and verbs and modifiers to help you understand the text. You could even diagram the sentence if you wanted to. I know for some of you that's a dirty word. <laughs> you know, oh, I don't talk about English like that. But uh, you, know, you could do some of those things, okay? You could look for words like therefore, and, but, that, for, because, if, and wherefore. These, what do these words do? They show contrast. You know, uh, they show continuation. And is a continuation. Therefore, says something before it matters now. But is a word of contrast saying this is how it is, but this is different. All those words help us. And uh, you can ask yourself, am I looking at a command? Am I looking at a question? Or am I looking at a statement? Okay, number next. So the grammatical principle, I can tell you didn't like that one. No one likes English. Okay, that's fine. Just me. The historical principle. Historical principle. We must interpret Scripture through its proper historical context. Now, you and I are not living 2,000 years ago. How are we going to do that? Um, and, and by the way, if you don't understand the Bible in its proper setting, how are we going to understand it in our setting now? We need to understand what was being said to the original audience. How did they take it? What did they, what did, how did they underst understand it? And you may say, well, how can I know that? That's where Bible dictionaries, commentaries, books on history, and books on Bible customs and manners come in. I gave you some study tool tips here. Zondervan's Pictorial Bible Dictionary. I think it's $5 on Amazon. You can get a used copy. It's a great book, huge, thick book, but gives you lots of pictures, gives you lots of history about Bible times. Uh, Haley's Bible Handbook, or Halley's, however you want to say it. Um, you know, again, I looked on Amazon today, two or three bucks for a used one. If you are opposed to used books, they're like 16 brand new, okay? And then Vine's Complete Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words, that's a little bit more pricey, but I think you can get a used one for six or seven dollars. If you buy a new one, it's like 35. But, uh, you know, you could spend a couple dollars on some of these on Kindle. So you don't have to lug around big books all the time. But if you come across a word you don't understand, you can look it up in vines. You can look at uh, uh, some, if you hear about a city in the Bible, you're like, what is that city talking about? You can look, up in, look it up in Zondervan's Pictorial Bible Dictionary, and you could get some history about the background. So that some of those things are really neat tools to help you find out what was really going on in that day and age. And what was the mindset, what was the context of what's being said here. Lastly, the Christological principle. Just spell Christ and then put O-logical at the end. Christological principle. And this is just really that Jesus Christ is the focus of the entire Bible. Good, I've got five minutes. I can finish up. In John 5, 39 and 46, Jesus said, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. For had ye believed Moses, in verse 46, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Jesus said that Moses wrote about Jesus. What did Moses write? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Have you seen Jesus' name in there? No, but you should have seen Jesus in there. Absolutely. 
And, uh, and so we can see Jesus in Genesis, by the way, chapter 3, verse 15. We can see him in Genesis 1, 1, because we know he was involved in creation. We can see him in Joshua. We can see him as the captain of our salvation. We can see him as the, 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 uh, the serpent being crucified there, the, the, whatever it called. It was a picture in John chapter 3 about Jesus there. And uh, he was the rock that was smitten uh, for our sins with Moses and the rock. All of these things are throughout the scripture there. Jesus is seen throughout uh, scripture. In Luke 24, 44, Jesus said, and he said to them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So Jesus not only said Moses wrote about him, the prophets wrote about him, the Psalms are about him. Jesus is found in every book of the Bible. Have you seen him? Uh, we love in our family, where's Waldo? We love Where's Waldo. The boys in their room, their, their monthly calendar in their room is Where's Waldo. So every time a new calendar page, I get in their chair and I roll over to it and I sit there and stare at, this, at, the, at the page until I find Waldo. You know what? He's in every picture. He's there. You know, you know and, and I'm not comparing Jesus to Waldo, please, okay, all right? But as we're looking at scripture, you can find him everywhere. You can find him. You can find a truth that points to Jesus Whatever you're studying, and I want to encourage you to do that. In your Bible time this week, look for Jesus. Well, Pastor, I'm in the book of Leviticus. There's a lot of symbolism about Jesus in Leviticus. You can find it. Uh, how about the sacrifice? How about the sinless sacrifice? How about the spotless lamb that's slain? How about all of those things, the, the remedy for sin? All of that, you can see it because Jesus is a theme throughout the whole Bible. And you can find him if you're looking for him. If Jesus is to be the center of our focus, no doubt he is the center of the Bible. The last quote on your sheet there is this. Poor interpretation comes from preconceived ideas, bad theology, being too hasty in reaching conclusions, and ignoring principles of interpretation. Let's be careful. Let's learn to see what the Bible says and then determine what the Bible means. Don't go to the Bible trying to find proof for an idea you already have. Let the Bible speak for itself. And then the last thing here, the last blank, as you read the Bible this week, observe, interpret, and apply it to your life in that order. So hopefully tonight, I know I gave you a lot. I know I gave you some deeper stuff. I don't know how many of you are going to go home and start diagramming verses. Probably not a lot of you, if any of us, all right, maybe. But if you're wanting some deeper ways of doing it, I tried to give you some deeper ways, but I hope there were some simple things there too. And you can say, okay, I can do that. I can take that. I can, I can use that in my Bible time, in my Bible study. And I'm trying to give you with every lesson some study tools as well. And so maybe a couple of those books you could put in your library or get on your Kindle or your iPhone or something and look up some words. Man, it could be a real help to you. And so let's dig in. Let's find some great treasures from the word of God. Father, thank you for...